0: Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. You know, in the earliest years when the church would gather together, the church across the Roman Empire, uh, they all spoke Greek. And so the worship leader would stand before the church and he would say, Christos Aneste, and the people would respond, Alistos Aneste, which is just Greek for Christ is risen. And the people would shout back, He is risen indeed maybe we should try to reenact that. I mean, here we are, and you're there, and I'm here. Let's see if it works. Are you ready? Okay, I'm going to say, Christ is risen, and then you'll respond, He is risen indeed. Are you ready? Christ is risen. That, 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 that probably wasn't really what you expected it to be, was it? it? It's just different when we're not in community, isn't it? It's it's uh, a little strange. There, there, there's sort of an emptiness in it, perhaps. Now, now some of you uh, are probably a lot like me where you said, you know what? If Christ couldn't be stopped by death itself, then by goodness, I'm not going to be stopped in celebrating Easter, even if COVID-19 is spreading across the planet. And then there are others of you who are sitting there wondering what on earth has happened to our life together. I don't know where you are. You might be in your living room with your family, and they joined with you as you said that. You might be by yourself in your bedroom, in a hospital room, in a prison cell. You might be deployed in the military. You might be a physician or a nurse or a healthcare worker, and you feel like you're about to drop the coursing of, of all of the things that, that, that allow you to do your job well, that, the, the adrenaline, and you're about ready to give it all up. You're exhausted, but you've taken this moment to come here to try as best you can in the circumstances that we've been given to celebrate the resurrection. Let's do that today. Let's covenant with each other to celebrate Easter this morning. And we're going to begin by reading the Easter story If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. This is my 28th Easter sermon. For the last 28 years, uh, 27 years before this year, I have preached every single Easter in many ways, it's not that different than all of those other Sundays, except for this. This is the first time that I've preached an Easter sermon in the middle of a pandemic. Now, by and large, most Easter sermons that I have prepared weren't really prepared for the members of the church or really even the believers themselves. I always sought to put together a sermon That was for those of you who were drugged to church by your grandmother or or by your mother or to the spouse who was coming that particular Sunday just to keep peace in the marriage. Unless you're already sharing a space where you are right now in this physical distancing Uh, those of you who are gathered are probably here because you want to be here and not because someone drug you here. Now, if you were talking to a loved one and asked them, you should tune in, they had the greatest excuse in the world, didn't they? Don't know if I can do it this year, Grandma. Don't know if I can do it this year, Mom. Remember the whole social distancing thing. Now, that may be true. But by and large, I suspect that most of you who are watching this today are probably one of two people. You are either the person for whom, as I had said earlier, as we began this morning, you're not going to be deterred by anything, even a pandemic, in celebrating the resurrection. Or you might be in the second group. And you could very well be in both groups, the first and the second. But the second group, I suspect, are those of you who are watching today. Well, you have pretty much one question on your mind that you're looking for an answer in various places and from various people. And the question is, why? Why is this happening? Well, if you've been with me any length of time, or if you know anything about me, you'll know that I'm one of those odd folks. That, well, back in the 90s, people used to always say to me, Pastor Ike, you definitely are a man of the 90s, the 1890s. And even though I really don't think that's true, well, predominantly because I don't think I'm a man of the 1990s or the 1890s. I'm really more of a guy of the 5th century or the 15th century. And except for the whole thing of you know air conditioning and running water and inside plumbing, living in the 5th century and the 15th century to me seems like they would be really exciting. I mean, the 5th century was pretty cool. I mean, that's the century that the Roman Empire fell, the Byzantine Empire rose. St. Augustine wrote his book, The City of God, upon which Western philosophy and the Western form of government was based. And then, of course, there is John Chrysostom. That's a name you hear every day, isn't it? He was a religious leader in the capital city of the Byzantine Empire. He was the first one that began to put together what a Sunday morning worship service should look like and even what a wedding service should look like. And do you know that his order of worship for weddings is still holding true to this day? Then, of course, there's the 15th century. Uh, That was a great time. The Middle Ages were just transitioning into the Renaissance, the Age of Discovery. Columbus was out sailing the oceans. John Cabot was discovering new lands and possible wealth. Lots of good things were happening in the 15th century. There was also lots of bad things happening in the 15th century as well. And so this morning, as I prepare to think about what it means to celebrate Resurrection Sunday today, I have to wonder what it would have been like to gather in a church in the year 1420 in a small village somewhere in Europe. Christians coming together, perhaps in a small chapel that was built by the meager funds of farmers, or perhaps in the public square. 1420, the pastor stands up and says, Christ is risen, and the people declared back to him, He is risen indeed. You know what else was going on in the 15th century? (laughs) The bubonic plague. The plague had been around since the year 1346, and it would continue to ravage Europe until about 1665, and it would kill over 25 million people. Now, throughout most of my life, I have watched the church go from a cultural norm You know what I'm talking about here. Some of you might remember this when you were kids. uh, It was the idea that everyone in town went to church. Whether you really liked the whole thing or not, you were just expected to be in church. Uh, I remember uh, when I was a kid, a a new uh, business person had come to town, and as he was looking for a church to join, he was looking for the largest church to join so that he could have an immediate customer base for his new business. That was really the church of my childhood. We don't talk about it much. We certainly don't celebrate it, but it was true. Everyone went to church. But I've also lived long enough to see that the church has changed from those days. No longer does one have to go to church to be a part of a community or a small town or even a city. Today, the church has sought to invite people to come into its midst because it is seeking to help people understand their life. The church has helped couples find happiness in marriage. It's taught strategies and how to successfully raise children. It has, for all intents and purposes, sought to teach people how to have the best life now. Well, <clears throat> that wasn't the case in 1420. In 1420, the church taught folks how to prepare for death. It was a real possibility for lots of folks back then. It wasn't something that was far off and would happen years from now when they growed old and had finished the course of life. It was something that can happen in a moment's notice, perhaps even tomorrow. It was a time when there were real problems in life. It was a time when it wasn't uncommon for women to die in childbirth, where most children did not make it to adulthood. It was a time where war was prevalent, where soldiers found themselves being ordered to kill a guy in a different colored uniform solely because the monarch told them to. They didn't understand the politics. They didn't understand the resources. They didn't understand the issues. It was a time when if too much rain fell during the spring or not enough rain fell during the summer, a family could literally die from starvation. Back then, 600 years ago, they came to the church to understand suffering to find meaning in life, and to be promised the hope that someday joy would come, even if it was in the afterlife. Well, now that I think about it, maybe life really isn't all that different today after all. You and I have seen the images on our television sets from far-off countries and from New York City. It's different for many of us who, although we struggle with death and dying, we do at least have the hope of access to medical care, to food. 600 years, no one could have ever imagined the resources that we have available to us today. Yet, still, in the shadow of this pandemic, Even though it may pale in comparison to how life was 600 years ago, and even though the scenarios might be subtly different, and today it's not the plague, it's COVID-19, here are some things that are the same. We are still humans. We are still afraid. We still get sick, and some of us still die. Maybe our life isn't all that far off from our brothers and sisters 600 years ago. You know, gathering in that small chapel on Resurrection Sunday. Fear is fear. Death is death. And grief is still grief. My mind also keeps going back to the year 597 B.C., when the great military nation of Babylon conquered the city of Jerusalem. It's in your Old Testament. Babylon, after they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, took the Hebrews back to Babylon. It is known as the Babylonian exile. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, was brutal. No doubt about that. But by ancient standards, he really wasn't such a horrible guy. After all, he didn't break up the families and force husbands to marry other women and women to marry other men. He he didn't put children to death like the Assyrians did before the rise of the Babylonian Empire. As a matter of fact, when he brought the Hebrews back to Babylon, he provided neighborhoods just for them. They called them Judah towns. They were, for all intents and purposes, ghettos for the Jewish people. And as long as the Hebrews stayed in their ghettos, they could pretty much move about however and whenever they wanted. Their religious leaders were permitted to retain uh, some control over the day-to-day life of the Hebrew people. They were allowed to keep their customs and even allowed to continue to celebrate their religion, their worship of Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true God. But here's my question. How do you think the Hebrews celebrated Passover? That's the holiday that remembers when they were liberated from Egypt, where they were slaves. How do you celebrate that holiday when you find yourself a slave again, but this time in Babylon? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That's still not just the same, is it? We're not together. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Just stay with me for a few more moments. How do we as Christians, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ shout that phrase, that's over 2,000 years old. How do we proclaim this truth when we know that people are dying today in hospitals, in nursing homes, at their homes, on the streets, across the world, from an enemy that we can't see unless we have a microscope? Well, the Jews had to adapt some when they were in Babylon, and adapt they did. They found new ways to provide for their families, and some even rose in the ranks of the Babylonian government. Take, for example, Daniel, who was a prophet. He has a book in the Old Testament. There's another prophet, a guy named Ezekiel. Ezekiel reminded the people that God had not forsaken them. There's that great image in the Valley of the Dry Bones in Ezekiel chapter 37. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Ezekiel 37, verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. You see, Easter is not about something that happened 2,000 years ago. It is about what is happening. Notice that when we first started doing that call and response, it wasn't Christ has risen or he has risen indeed. It is Christ is risen. It is a present reality. Yes, it may have historically and literally happened 2,000 years ago, but it is also happening today, and it continues to happen until Christ comes again. It is something that is today. You see, when you declare your response to my call, Christ is risen, and you say, He is risen indeed, you, like the Hebrews in the land of exile, Like those villagers gathered in the town square 600 years ago in the midst of the bubonic plague, you, like them, are declaring in the face of death itself that it has no authority here. You see, we modern people, whatever that means, I mean, we have discovered more about the world around us from science and technology, disciplines, by the way, which uh, were invented in the 15th century by the church when they began their universities. Monks became researchers. Sure, the, the monks traded their monastic habits for white lab coats, but the gift of human reasoning is from God, and God is with us working through his natural order to bring liberation to you and to me who are being held captive. He's healing the sick, and all the while reminding us that physical death is not the end. The tomb does not have the final answer. Why? Christ is risen! He is risen indeed. Death, sin, grief, fear have all been defeated. On April 9th, 1945, we remembered it this past week, a young German pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer was led to the gallows to be hung by Nazi Germany. He had been a part of the assassination attempt on Hitler's life. And just before he was hung, he said these words, This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. 21 days later, on April 30th, 1945, Hitler would take his own life, and the reign of Nazi terror would end. God will not be mocked, not by dictators, not by the plague, not by a rogue virus. And here, brothers and sisters, is the Christian hope. This kind of evil is not vanquished by the sword. It's not defeated in the courts or through public opinion or the ramblings of a preacher who thinks he's a historian. These things are defeated because our God is a God of life, of resurrection. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. O God, we give to you thanksgiving and praise that you have already defeated our fear, our doubt, and even that which seeks to take our very lives. Lord, may we live in the hope that the tomb does not have the final say, but you have spoken, and your word has echoed down throughout the years. Sin and death itself have been defeated. The tomb is empty, and our Savior is risen. In Jesus' name, amen.